dear God, I think we're doing a regular episode again, Scott. What? Slum, 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 gullion. Slum, gullion. We've got season two of the Slum, gullion. Jeff and Scott's co-host of Slum, gullion. I still don't know what that word means. Do, 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 do. Slumgullion, we still got some guests on the Slumgullion, we're not showing breasts on the Slumgullion, should probably fade on the Slumgullion. Hello folks and welcome to God Only Knows what episode this is of season series 2 of the Slumgullion. I am your host June Lockhart and three time zones away from me is Guy Madison, how are you today? Uh, I was doing pretty good until I saw myself in the Beast of Hollow Mountain. (laughs) And, oh boy, do we have what I think is going to be a fun episode. I don't know your thoughts about the back half. I'm going to have fun with this. I think that's probably the most sensible approach. I'm going to try to emulate that. I don't know how (laughs) successful I'm going to be. I'm going to give it a shot. Are you going to be grumpy McGrumpnuts in this episode, Scott? I don't I don't think I am. I, I mean, I'll just say to, in case case people are wondering, part of the reason we're a little off schedule is because I've been really, really sick. Um, so I'm uh, I've got cabin fever like you wouldn't believe, uh, which I finally broke yesterday by going to see a movie uh, at uh, uh Jeff's uh, not explicit recommendation, but a movie he likes, so I went to see. I it was because... gonna say, I uh, well, we, we'll we'll jump right into it since you brought it up, Sicky. Um, <laughs> we are going to spend the first uh, the first part of today's show talking a little bit about Alien Covenant. Bum bum bum. Now, before we get into this, since we have both seen it, we're going full spoilers, so. Um, you might want to jump ahead, I don't know, probably to part two. <laughs> I, I honestly, okay, I'll tell you what. Hang on a second here. I'm going to be good here. Hang on one second here. What we are going to do is we are going to spend the next 15 minutes doing a full spo- a spoiler-filled discussion of Alien Covenant. Are you cool with that, Scott? I don't know if we can fill 15 minutes, but sure. Okay, alrighty then. <clears throat> so, you're going to jump ahead 15 minutes, starting from the safe word, which is pig fucker. Now then, I got to say right off the bat, the one, like I said, the one thing that I really, really enjoyed in this movie, and I know there are people who argue that it's not going to make sense, and I, you're probably right, and we'll see how he's tying everything up, because it looks like Ridley Scott wants to, is I love the fact that David created the Xenomorphs. Uh, I was very confused by that, because... Uh, there's this whole, I mean, there's always been this sort of, you know, quasi religious sense of awe in the series, uh, heavier or a, a, a light balsamic drizzle, depending on, on who's driving the bus. But there was very confusing messages about this. I mean, uh, uh, Guy Pierce creates David and, uh, well, and David asks the logical question, well, who created you? And he says, well, I'm going to send you out and f- to find out that very question. You're going to fuck it up, and there's going to be a series of movies we don't need as a result. However, <laughs> that, that's my plan. Um, 
And David later says, you know, I was with Guy at the very end when he died. I pitied him because uh, uh, his plan was stupid, but it worked. Here, here we are. And David's different. David's different. I mean, there's there's a there's a David point two, also played by Foss Bender. Is that his name? Yes. Thank you. Um, and uh, whose name is Walter. And uh, he's he's had the uh, he's had the uh, the visionary chip uh, tuned way down. So he's not uh, bursting with creative energy the way David is. And so it's like, well, apparently the thing that makes us different that animal, and he almost explicitly says this. Well, some hominid blew on a reed to to amuse the younglings in a cave, and next stop, civilization. So, and then there's me, and now I'm I've got these monsters, and I'm going to kill all humanity because they are a failed species and they deserve extinction. So the message here is, uh, the thing that makes us different than the animals, creativity, uh, is a terrible thing, and. <laughs> We should get rid of it. And you know what? The fact that Ridley Scott at this late date is remaking the same fucking movie from the 70s makes me think, yes, here's a man who hates creativity. <laughs> he made a whole movie just to prove the point that he shouldn't have made any movies. <laughs> I liked Ridley Scott up to a certain point. He was one of my favorite directors. But good grief. Get off the bus, man. Here's your your stop was like five blocks ago. <laughs> oh, I, that's I, one thing. Beautiful. I agree with you about one thing. You were absolutely right about one thing you said. Okay. This is far and away James Franco's best performance. <laughs> I knew you'd love him. I'm telling <laughs> you, as soon as he pops on screen, it's just like that is the best work he has ever done. Absolutely. The only the only disappointing thing about it was you you see him uh the first time you see him when he when he's not um <laughs> when he's not you know being being flame roasted like a like a whopper um he's uh dang he's rock climbing <laughs> did you make a 120 hours show yes yeah, I, 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 oh just like point twenty seven. Oh, maybe he'll cut his arm off and something exciting <laughs> will happen yeah <laughs> i mean i guess it's exciting that he gets flame broiled. I mean, I suppose you know, you know, he gets he gets the baked potato and tinfoil treatment. You see, here's the uh, thing. Okay, real fast, real fast. I'm going to inject some of the. I like this into this film. There's been enough hatred now. Okay, just Fair a little enough. bit. I want to throw in a little bit of a. And, and I liked it. And now, mind you, a I didn't think. As I told Scott, I didn't love this movie. Unlike say, um, uh, uh, Split or um, what was the other one I told you to do. Oh, uh, get out. No. Yes. Get, yeah, get out. Get out yeah. and, yes. Get out and split. I Unlike both, those I, two, which I loved absolutely them. loved. Uh, this one, I told him I liked it. I thought it was an okay film. Now I do also have to say long time, um, listeners will know. I freaking loved Prometheus. I'm one of the five people on the planet that did. So. Five, huh? You think I think that, yeah, there are five of us. Yeah, yeah, we keep in contact. 
So basically, the the fan base of this movie can fit into a a one of the medium sized booths at Denny's. No, 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 no. For Prometheus, yes, uh, I do think Covenant, Covenant is getting a larger fan base. People are liking it a lot more. Everyone's saying it's better than Prometheus. Of course, that's not saying much. As I said, I'm like, fuck you. I enjoyed the movie, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I do think that it gives. Lay it on the table. It does give Alien fans what they want. And whether it is the exact same movie that Ridley Scott has made before, the exact same film in the series, because like I said, he's only made, as an Alien film, he's really only made one. This is the first Alien film he's made since the first one. Honestly, uh, Prometheus, I don't consider an Alien film. That was, yeah, that was just, that was like cinematic blue balls. (laughs) <laughs> I disagree, but that's a debate for another day. Okay. Um, no, honestly, I do believe this is the first alien film that he's made, like I said, since the, since the first one. But um, and can you just see him making it? It's kind of good. Okay, this I'm going to have this character, this great kick-ass woman who's like got heart, but she's also got leadership, and she's the only smart one. And she's and uh, have I done this before? This seems familiar. Anyway, so Ripley, I'm sorry, uh, okay. Davis. Now, may I play devil's advocate? Because I agree with you to a point, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here. The Force Awakens. Ah, are you calling me a hypocrite because I that was the exact same movie and I didn't complain? I'm just saying. I, I'm not saying you're wrong on that one, but... That's out. You know there. what? No, no, that's a fair. That's a fair criticism. Uh, it's like h- how much how peeved I am by by being forced or allowed or led by a director to watch uh, the exact same movie twice I, I, depends I, upon how much I like the movie the first time. Come on, they wanted they wanted Catherine Waterston to be Ripley so bad. Oh, actually, no. From originally, what I had heard, what I had heard, I don't disagree with you on that point because what I had heard was that her character was originally going to be, or that there were thoughts that she was going to be Ripley's mother. Man, that's a suck ass family to be a part of. Indeed, and I'm glad they didn't go that route because that would have been even stupider. Uh, more, but, but anyway, the original point that I was going to make. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I'm. That's this was this got this got this got interesting. Um, I the thing that I do, even though you're right, it's the same damn film and it's the same damn film in a series that has basically done the same damn thing from the beginning. Um, looking at it like most series, the question then becomes: Did it do it well or not? And honestly, in this one case, I think I think it did it okay, not great, but I think this is a hell of a lot better than um, Resurrection. Oh and, well, yeah. And even though I like Alien Three, I think this is a hell of a lot better than Alien Three. Yeah, but it trades in the same fashionable nihilism. And you know what? In a day and age when there are actual Nazis walking the landscape, I'm not into fashionable nihilism anymore. I don't find it fashionable. That is a valid point. <laughs> that is indeed a valid point. Uh, all I got to say is I actually did like the characters. I, I do think that. Did you? I do think that the. Uh, at first, I did think that the beginning was slow. Like, I really didn't give a shit about them fixing the sale. But when things started going south, I actually cared. I actually did find myself invested <coughs> in these characters. Um, now, I will I will also say, and I'm 
don't know why Ridley Scott did this. Um, you knew for a fact that Walter was going to be David because we never saw the end of the fight. Yes. Every, yes I was, mean, that was obviously, it, and that wasn't like, oh, no, no one's going to know. You know for a fact that Ridley Scott knew everyone's going to know. I so, don't know. He 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 made it. Well, he made a half-assed effort to to hide it. But uh, see, I don't maybe think it was, was maybe it was half-assed. I think it was half-assed because uh, his characters were so stupid that you you can fool them with just a half-assed effort. <laughs> so, well, no one in the audience is going to be this stupid, but the characters <laughs> will fall for it. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even. A, I mean, it was like it it wasn't even. The the instant you see you see David as Walter and you look at his hand and and I guess the the characters oh that's right his hand got uh, uh, traumatically burned off by acid so this guy only has one hand this must be Walter and yet you look at it and you go okay Walter had a ragged stump because his hand was eaten away by acid this has been this hand has been cleanly severed with a bandsaw. Uh, it's not a ragged stump. It's, it's, it's a very tidy cut. And, uh, this is clearly David. So at what point are we supposed to, should I, should I pretend that I'm fooled? Is that the polite thing? I don't want to, I don't want to insult Ridley. He's, I was always taught to be polite to my elders. And I'll just, we'll just pretend. We'll just, yeah. We'll just pretend. <laughs> If it makes you feel any better, Scott, the, excuse me, <coughs> you gave me a coughing fit. Um, if it makes you feel any better, the hatred you're feeling right now, I felt about six to eight hours ago when I found out that um, the Top Gun sequel is a go. Tom Cruise is a Val Kilmer wants to be in on it, too. Oh. It's official. Right. Tom Cruise is already behind it, so I knew it was a go, but now Val Kilmer is saying, I'm coming back. Uh, that'll be embarrassing. I think so. But anyway, we are approaching the end of our 15 minutes of Alien, Covenant, Short Term. Scott hated it. I didn't mind it. I actually did like the characters. All righty then. I want to throw some, Okay, and in... Three, two, one. Welcome back. We're actually a little bit early, but ha ha, deal with it. Okay. So, Scott, uh, yes. one other real quick thing. Have you watched all except the Christmas episode of Mystery Science Theater yet? I no. We're, we're being very careful about rather. Are you doing the week by week still? We're doing. We're doing. We're, we're sticking to our week by week schedule. Congratulations. So, how Thank many episodes? I don't know how many. What have you seen so far? Uh, last night we, we watched uh, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom. Oh God! Oh, wait till next week. <laughs> yeah, I I hear that Wizards of the Lost Kingdom two is is a terrible, terrible, uh, jokey cash grab uh, uh, mockery of itself. Like like oh hey, there were enough idiots who who rented this on VHS. Let's let's make a meta joke fest, uh, making fun of our own crappy effort, yeah. and that's I, just that's, those are the most painful ones. If they if they think they're funny, there's nothing. 
there's nothing less funny than someone who thinks they're funny. So I have to ask, since I mentioned it the last, since I mentioned it before you watched the episode, what did you think of the song in Star Crash? Oh, I I liked it. Although I think they could have done a better job with it. I mean, it was uh, I liked the song. It it was a great Beach Boys pastiche, um, but they weren't trying to not 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 even harmonize. They weren't even singing together. Uh, it was just sort of a it was kind of very uh, messy and and one take. And I thought, come on, there's you guys could have done a really good job. Like, but I, I guess I guess the really well produced musical numbers. Um, like the Every Country Needs a Monster, they're saving those for the uh, host segments. The host segments, yeah. I actually, I'm, I am going to uh, politely uh, th- uh, disagree with you on that. I actually like the fact that it was messy. Made it seem more in uh, the theater. You know, totally. It totally felt that is the first time. I mean, it totally felt spontaneous to me, and I liked that. I really, I th- really did. I think you're right because. Um, uh, Joel always said, you know, the theater should feel like they're seeing it for the first time. They're making it up as they go. So and especially since I don't think there's ever been a full song like that in the theater. Has there um, that you can remember? Hmm. I don't remember a full song like that. Not one that they are coming up with. That's not uh, just setting lyrics to um, music in the film. Real, but I mean, like an original song can't think of one that was ever done in theater i mean uh tom, tom would make up lyrics to um to like end themes oh, over right, long right, credit right. sequence and things like that but uh, no i think this was the first uh just original song where that where the the both the melody and the lyrics had nothing to do with what was happening on screen i mean that that right now i do that is my favorite moment i think in the season uh would you say star crash is your favorite episode Having watched all of them except for the Christmas episode, I'm I'm keeping to that too. Um, yeah, honestly, yeah, it's up there for me. Uh, it's up there for me. There I, I, are I, a couple coming up that will challenge it, but I think Star Crash is one of the more perfect films for their treatment. Absolutely, I mean, so much so that I, I think I told you this um, a long time ago that that when uh, Sherry and I were writing the uh, writing Better Living Through Bad Movies. I watched Star Crash with every intention of including it um, in the book, and it was just so much goofy, stupid fun that I just couldn't summon enough ill will <laughs> to mock it. I just thought, oh, this this doesn't need it. This needs no hamburger helper. <laughs> It very much there's something about it that okay now Grant said the one I'm going to compare it to is a is comparatively a better film, but Star Crash has a kind of a Battle Beyond the Stars vibe to it. It's uh, fun. It's it's fun. Um, yeah, I, I think I think like I said, Battle Beyond the Stars is a better film, better quality of actors. Oh, by far, by far, please. by uh, far. Okay, but aside from aside from. Um... Christopher Plummer can can you identify a single actor? Yes, actually I can. Crash? Yes, I can because of Ooh. my experience in the drive-in. Um, well, besides uh, what's her face, uh, the chick, Carolyn Monroe. Yes, everyone. I, know, I, any genre geek knows Carolyn Monroe if you're worth her salt. But that, that um, doesn't mean you 
can you can legitimately consider her an act? She's that I agree acting with you. things. That I agree but, with you. My God, I mean, what? her slave outfit when she's in the mine and she's wearing that one that two piece thingy. Yeah. That that does all <laughs> the acting for. No, but her pilot, her pilot, um, the other guy with with Marjo Gortner, yes, Marjo, star Marjo of Gortner. Food of the Gods. Marjo Gortner was a child evangelist. Yes, that's what he was famous for. And I then, knew him from Bert High Gordon's Food of the Gods. Okay. Well, he was never what I would call an actor. <laughs> and and then what, what what else are we left with? We're left with uh, there's a bunch of Italians yes. who are being dubbed anyway. Yes. And then there's David Hasselhoff, yes. who, if you want to argue he became an actor, you can. I don't think you can successfully. Hey, but you hey, hey. don't think at this he point. Should have, he should have won a Razzie for Baywatch Nights, and he never did. I'm still pissed about that. All right. Well, no justice, no peace, man. Exactly. Exactly. All right. I have one more thing I want to throw at you. Um, two words. Well, actually, three words. Falcon Crest Reboot. Oh, that too? I'm st- I, my head's still reeling from the Dynasty reboot. Wait, wait, wait. They're doing Dynasty as well? Yeah, so didn't you know that? Oh, wait. No, no, no. Not Falcon Crest. I'm sorry. I meant Dynasty. I'm sorry. I meant Dynasty. Wow, your brain is wired in a really weird way. If that's if somehow you translated Dynasty into Falcon Crest. Falcon Crest was like the Hydrox. The Dynasty's Oreo. I think well, I it's think, weird that you went to the. It's weird that you went to the off-brand soda of nighttime soaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know why I was thinking Falcon Crest. Oh, you know what? Maybe it's uh, maybe it's because I was watching Dark Shadows earlier, and it was a Quentin episode in David Selby. I don't know how my mind works. Leave me alone. I'm high. Anyway, yes. Two words then. Dynasty reboot. I don't. Okay, like I said on Twitter, Will and Grace, I can deal with. Roseanne, I'm somewhat intrigued by. Yeah, especially since uh, apparently uh, Dan's a zombie now. Exactly. I'm really interested. Coming back, coming coming back from the dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But 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 Dynasty. Well, here's no Dynasty makes perfect sense. How are you even mildly puzzled by this? When was Dynasty big? It was during the the neo um, robber baron era of the 1980s during during the Reaganite greed is good oh 1980s when God. we were celebrating yes when when billionaires were sexy celebrities and everybody wanted to uh, you know live in nouveau riche mansions and and wear glittery Bob Mackie fashions with shoulders out to here where are we now Oh, my God, Scott, that thought never even crossed my mind. Thank you for making me even more depressed. Well, and and right, that's exactly the most rational response to where we are as a people right now. <laughs> Dynasty is exactly what we deserve. Oh, my God. I need to watch that James Cameron's Raising the Bar episode of South Park again. <laughs> we, we need I, the bar I, raised. I, I, I'd need to watch Battleship Potemkin. <laughs> All right, sir. Before we cut to uh, theme number two, anything you want to throw at me besides a baseball uh, bat for even suggesting Alien Covenant? Uh, no, no, no. I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I saw it. I mean, I, I didn't. Um, 
I, I wasn't sitting. I wasn't bored. I, right. I wasn't wasn't hating it. I what I was was sitting going, man, these people are stupid. Okay. You know what? I don't. I don't care if they die. Kill them. In fact, kill them now. Kill kill them faster. <laughs> I, I did didn't care about the characters, and uh, there were the the stakes were really high. There's over two thousand colonists, not a single one of whom we ever meet. Uh, so, boy, there were a whole bunch of theoretical, conceptual, abstract people that were possibly uh, put at peril by our intensely stupid uh, main characters. Uh, but you know what? A good hate uh, can is very aerobic, gets the blood going. So I, I don't care about that. Um, I, I am a little concerned. Uh, I don't. How do I put this? Um, I've got I've got a Zack Snyder chapter. In oh. the upcoming uh, sequel to Bear Living to Bad Movies. And now I'm going, oh, okay. I mean, it's like not like Zack Snyder is ever going to read my book and ever going to find out about it. But uh, oh, man. I just feel awful now. And now I don't even feel I, I, I don't even know if I can go in to see um, Justice League and have a reaction that is not in some way swaddled in pity uh that's just sort of i i, I don't know if i can even look at it as, as a film now it's this this weird document of a of a personal tragedy yeah um, yeah i know this is this is this kind of sucks it, it really does suck and, and for for anyone who may not have heard and and it's it's certainly it's certainly been um covered heavily on the geek sites but not everybody follows those as obsessively as we do um zach snyder's daughter who's 20 20 years old and was going to sarah lawrence uh committed suicide uh in march and he tried to finish the film i guess he was working on uh, uh he was working on uh post-production and just realized he couldn't do it and he turned the film over to josh whedon who had already been working on it for a while because uh snyder brought in whedon to write new scenes and, oh no, uh, that I did not know. Yeah, he was—he had already been brought in to write uh, and direct uh, reshoots. Which did this happen before or after Batgirl? Uh, the official Batgirl announcement. I think it must have happened after okay. or contemporaneously. But any, but yes, uh, that's another thing. Um, uh, Joss Whedon has joined the DCEU. Um, because he's going to be he's going to be uh, writing and directing a, uh, a Batgirl film, and so he's he's part of the creative brain trust now in the in a, in a way he he was uh, for several years with Marvel. So obviously Snyder or somebody close to Snyder or in a decision making uh, position at Warner Brothers at DC realized that they really that they needed to have some scenes where there were. You know, there was some humor or some emotion or some humanity shown by the characters, and that Snyder probably wasn't the person to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's now now the film is shadowed by this. In, 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 in kind of the same way, I never saw the movie Twilight Zone because of that. I yeah, I, associated with it. I have never seen that. I have never seen that segment. I have watched the It's a Life episode. Mm-hmm. I watched that segment just because it's Joe Dante, and I have to watch everything Joe Dante does. Okay, but I have never, I've never seen the whole film. I have never seen that segment. 
and I don't, I don't want to see, you know, a, 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 a short film or a episode or in an anthology. I don't want to see a film in which Vic Morrow died. And I, it's like, well, is, is that the, he said, he's running from a helicopter. Is that the one that, kill, I guess that's the one that killed. I don't want to see that. I don't want that in my head. And I don't want to reward the film, even though I, uh, anyway. Well, so, that's, a whole, that's a whole different thing. That's a whole other thing, thing I don't want to get into. Do not yeah. want to get into. Yeah. Um, I want to be wax free. Yes. Uh, wax off. And that um, is some dirty wax, and we'll just leave it there. So, um, anyway, yeah. So, uh, I'm trying not to think about uh, Justice League, and it's fairly easy because I'm very excited about Wonder Woman. Yes, yes. Uh, Mary is Mary is so excited about Wonder Woman. And the advanced reviews are pretty damn good. So, yes, yes, reviews were good. So, and and I would love nothing better than a DC movie that I could love. I I agree. It would be nice. It would be nice to see a DC hero movie that I could love. Yes, a a, a, a superhero movie about a hero. It's a it's a it's a weird offbeat take, and I hope. I hope they take that crazy risk. Actually put a hero in their superhero movie. <laughs> and on that note, we'll be right back. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. That's, That's right. right. It's, it's the, the unknown, unknown movie, movie challenge. challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Movie. Movie challenge. It's the unknown. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. Ready for battle. God, I love those quick non-commercial breaks, and we are back. We've been promising it for a while, and we're gonna get to it in just a second. But first, a little bit of house cleaning. Um, starting next episode, we're going to be doing something a little new, as is the nature of the stew. How'd you like that rhyme there, Scott? It certainly uh, rhymed. <laughs> now, as you know, uh, for a while there, Mrs. C and I were discussing the final season of Bones with our bi-weekly boner. We had so much fun that we're doing, we're doing that again. But not with Bones. And this time, Mr. C is joining us. And the show that the three of us are going to rewatch is Firefly. That's right, boys and girls. Is it 14 hours of some of the best sci-fi ever on TV? Does it hold up? We're going to find out. Scott, when was the last time you and Mrs. C watched Firefly? It has been years. As it has been for me as well. So, here's what we're going to do, folks. For the next episode, I think since it's a two-hour episode, we should just watch the pilot. Okay. So, we're going to watch the pilot for the next episode. If you guys have Firefly, if you guys want to watch along, if you guys want to send in your comments, you've got two weeks now. So, the time is there. You know where to send it. Scott, where should they send any shit they want to send? Uh, you can either <clears throat> leave a comment on uh, theslumgullion.com on whatever the top uh, latest post is, or you can email us at theslumgullion at AOL.com. And why AOL? Because nobody uses AOL. There's plenty of room for mail. I love running jokes. And then, oh, we're not done, because then, once we finish with Firefly, which won't take long... 
We're well, it'll take, in... it'll take 14 shows. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's not going to take that long. Um, Once we get through Firefly, in preparation for this December, that's right, boys and girls, we're going to watch Star Wars. We're going to watch all of them, and we're watching them in order. Uh, I'm just going to say that I have that Mary is not yet fully on board with this. As soon as I said that it involved the prequels, she uh, hit the ripcord and bailed out. If she, but, if she wishes but, to join in for past prequels, that's fine. Okay, but I I don't feel that that uh, we ought to allow her to do that. I think she needs to suffer along with us. She can't just come in and for dessert. So I, I actually I said, kind of agree said, with you but, on that, but I was going to be nice. Well. Appreciate that. But I said to her, look, this is a chance to trash these things. This is a chance to get revenge. This is a chance to vent and 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 express your venom glands. Here you go. Actually, tell her this. Tell Mrs. C this. Tell her that, you know, maybe we can re-experience the therapy that we had for the Star Wars holiday special. Yeah, exactly. Exercise these ghosts because not, uh, neither one of us have seen um no i take that back i take that back uh we saw them in the theater and then we saw uh attack of the clones and no yeah uh we saw the uh, phantom menace and attack of the clones and no i did i watched all three of them uh on dvd for the book right uh, no, no, not not uh, not Return of the Sith because that hadn't come out yet. The book came out before that movie. That's right. You so, just had the first two in it. You just had the first two. So, yeesh. So yes, it'll be the first time I've seen Revenge of the Sith. Is that what it's called? Yes. Since since I sat black jawed in a movie theater, going, well, it's not as bad as the others. Now, the only one that I have seen even remotely recently is I caught maybe half an hour of episode two when it was on television i honestly have not sat down and watched the prequel trilogy in its entirety or the movies in their entirety since i saw them in the theater so i'm this is going to be an experience for me yeah and i'll point out that the barely living the bad movies came out in 2006 so it's probably it was it's been over 10 years exactly so we are we're coming into the prequels and we're going to try I am go. I will even say right now, as a Star Wars fan, it's been a long time. I am going to go in with as little hate as possible and try to watch these movies objectively, since I haven't seen them in a long time. I'm not going to make that promise at all. I'm, I said I'm going to try. Episode one's going to be tough. That's going to be the hardest one. It, it really, and I know that ahead of time. That, that that movie, however, did occasion uh, one of uh, my favorite a joke written by Sherry, my my uh, writing partner. Uh, we said, so we get to meet Darth Vader when he was just a six year old Jiffy Lube attendant. <laughs> Sums up that movie pretty well for me. Oh, and the other one was um, uh, when uh, uh, Anakin starts flirting with Padme, and he goes, you know, get, getting a getting a boner for the uh, Babysitter is a pretty common fantasy, but you'd think Lucas would be over that by now. <laughs> I remember that line. I do, in fact, remember that line. That's <clears throat> awesome. So, like I said, coming up over the next several months, we got Firefly and we got Star Wars. So afraid. we've got the best and the worst. Exactly. <laughs> All right. But... <laughs> 
Wow. You gave me another coughing fit. Hold on a second. <clears throat> All right. Now then, we have been promising it for a while, and it is finally here. As you know, there are many, many different genres of movie. There is the horror film, there's a musical, there's the Bollywood musical, you know, you name it, there's a film for it. But a genre that really does not exist anymore, that used to exist quite a lot in the late 30s, early 40s, was the amazingly smart Asian detective film. Now then, as far as I know, there are three examples of said detective, all having films at the exact same time, two of the detectives from the exact same studio. We have Mr. Moto and Charlie Chan, both from 20th Century Fox, and we have Mr. Wong from Monogram. Now, what's interesting about these smarter-than-everyone-else Asian detectives is that all three of these smarter-than-else Asian detectives are played by white men. Charlie Chan. I'm sorry? Shocking. I know. That you guys were expecting that twist, but it is a show about mysteries. <laughs> Charlie Chan in this particular the one film we, we watched was played by Sidney Toller. Mr. Moto was played by Peter Laurie. And Mr. Wong was played by Boris Karloff. Now, like I said, all three of these detectives had multiple films come out per year. And... um. For this particular discussion, I chose three movies that came out in the year 1939. Uh, we had Charlie Chan at Danger Island. Nope. Oh, excuse nope. me, Charlie nope. Chan at Treasure Island. Mr. Moto at Danger Island, so you see the confusion there. And the No, Mr. no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. It's Mr. Moto in Danger Island. In Danger Island, sorry, sorry, sorry. And... The, uh, the mystery of Mr. Wong. As I said, Wong is monogram. Moto and Chan are both 20th Century Fox. Although you can definitely tell, and we'll get to that in a second, between the two, which one had the budget. Um, yeah. And let's dive into it. I mean, we, we, uh, there's been a lot of talk about whitewashing lately. Um, in films, some of, some of the talk has been justified. Some of it has been utterly fucking stupid. I'm looking at you, Danny Rand. Sorry, dude. Uh, but we decided, well, I decided, honestly, that I wanted to take a look at real whitewashing. Real, honest to God, we did this back then kind of whitewashing. And one of these movies in particular, oh, dear God, do we cross the line into wowness. I do want to take issue with your definition of terms here okay whitewashing is what happened with uh ghost in the shell for instance whitewashing is where you take a character that is understood to be asian in the underlying material and cast a white actor in the role as scarlett johansson was in Ghost in the Shell, uh, white. That's where you take you take an Asian character, and it, it, the, the same thing that happened in um, M Night Shyamalan's version of Avatar, right? Uh, uh, the Last Airbender. That was a huge. That was a textbook case of whitewashing. What we're dealing with in the uh, Charlie Chan, uh, Mr. Moto, Mr. Wong films is another phenomenon called yellowface, which is the corollary to blackface 
which you saw in films like uh, Mammy's Boy, where Al Jolson would uh, put on incredibly offensive minstrel show quality uh, black cork makeup. Oh, and... speaking of that, here's a flashback <clears throat> for you. Buddy Ebsen tap dancing in blackface in an Al Jolson film. Oh hell! There's there's a there's a movie with uh, Judy Garland doing a big blackface minstrel number, um, that is one of the most sadly offensive things you will ever see. Uh, it's it's a movie with Mickey Rooney. It might be. Is Babes it one of the Andy Hardy, Hardy films? No, no, it's not an Andy Hardy okay. film. It's one oh, of their, it's, it's one, one of their, those. Let's put on a show. Let's, shows. let's put on a show and not let's put on a real let's put on a really offensive show. Um, <clears throat> okay, point but taken. Point taken. Now, now here's here's where Charlie Chan gets a little iffy. Um, by the time we get to the Sidney Toller films, we've got the you know the epithelial folds, the little rubber appliances to give him that that Asian looking cast to the eyes. Um, but uh, the original Charlie Chan, uh, Warner Olin, who was born in Sweden. Uh, was frequently cast, starting in the silent era, frequently cast as Asian characters. In fact, I believe he was the first uh, actor to play Fu Manchu on screen. Oh, okay. But he did not wear any Asian makeup. He put on a little uh, mustache, but uh, he used no eye makeup, no appliances whatsoever. Uh, He looked kind of like a Laplander. He looked like somebody who had, you know, Finnish... Uh, ancestry. Uh, he had a vaguely, vaguely Asian cast, but mostly the the uh, Chinese quality of his performance came out in his in the the accent and you know the the pidgin English dialogue they wrote for him. So that's I'm not even sure that <clears throat> I guess that technically qualifies as yellow face because it's a white man playing a uh, an Asian character. But it's they're not using they're not using the uh, the offensive makeup appliances so sydney toller however is well into yellow face territory um and the first move and it's always interesting to me because the charlie chan films had a white actor playing the main title character and yet they cast actual asian actors around him uh in the warner roland films key luke played his number one son right right uh key luke who was born in china uh and in this film with Sidney Toller has taken over the role. Victor Sen Young, who's probably best known to modern audiences as Hop Singh on Bonanza. I thought, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. He, he uh, took over from Key Luke and he's playing number two son, Jimmy Chan. And uh, the whole movie, I got to say, it's a kind of a gorgeous film. You can tell it's made by, uh, a major studio. They spent money on it. There, it opens up on board a Pan Am Clipper. Really nice model work. The the, the sets are gorgeous. Um, there are recreations of the World Exposition. In other words, it, it, uh, on Treasure Island in San Francisco, which was the the West Coast version of the 1939 World's Fair in New York. And uh, some very good acting in the film. I mean, Caesar Romero. I I really love Caesar Romero in the movie. Cesar Romero is terrific in, in the movie. Um, there, it's full of of these incredibly welcome, uh, happily received character actor faces. People, you you one of one of the enduring pleasures 
of Golden Age Hollywood are, was the the staple of character actors who go film after film. Sometimes in the in different films in the same series playing different characters, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But uh, just briefly to give you a, a background, uh, film starts off as I said, it's uh, uh, born Pan Am Clippers flying Waikiki to San Francisco. We're in the middle of a storm. Uh, Jimmy's getting kind of airsick. He's jumpy. He's fearfully sweaty, but he's not as terrified as he'd be if he were black. <laughs> At least based on the Nero sidekicks in later Charlie Chan films. Uh, uh, Douglas Dumbrill uh, is a suspicious seeming insurance actuary. Douglas Dumbrill will be known, remembered uh, by Mystery Science Theater fans as Charlie Cooper, the wheelchair-bound strangulation victim in Last of the Wild Horses, who's also in a ton of other movies playing either... Uh, uh, blustering, officious bank presidents or uh, uh, very or suave gangsters or crooked politicians. Um, John uh, Louis Jean Haight, uh, who's probably best remembered for playing the cheap chiseler Joe Brody in The Big Sleep, uh, is also on board the plane. He's a friend of Charlie's. He's a mystery novelist who's just completed a new whodunit that's going to blow the lid off the fake spiritualist racket. Um, spiritualism was a big thing in the thirties. Uh, so this is sort of, uh, it's a little timely ripped from the headlines, uh, law and order, uh, style writing. <laughs> uh, Louis gets some bad news via radiogram. I might, one of my great regrets in life is I will never get any kind of news from a radiogram. I wish someone would send me a radiogram, but it's never going to happen. Um, and as the clipper comes in for a landing over the world's fair at treasure Island in San Francisco, uh, Jimmy discovers that, uh, uh, Louis dead in his seat and his novel, the manuscript of his novel, which he just finished on the plane is missing. Bum, bum, bum. <clears throat> bum, 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 indeed. Now in San Francisco, Charlie teams up with a reporter, Pete Lewis, who's played by Douglas Fowley, who I cannot tell you what he's been in because he's been in too damn much. His yeah. IDB yeah. lists 335 yep. credits, yep. movies, movies, and TV shows. But yep. I guarantee You'll you've know seen him. him. You've seen him. You'll know him when you see him. If you've seen a the, black and white film, you know who Douglas seen, Fowley is. Exactly. Yeah. And as Jeff mentioned, Cesar Romero, he's playing a stage magician named Redini, who exposes fake psychics like James Randi. Yeah, what a shocker. And you can tell that this is this is relatively early in Cesar Romero's career because his mustache is very thin. Uh, you know what? It never got that thick. <laughs> I it was pretty bushy in the Batman days. Or maybe mm. that was just the paint. Yeah, well, I mean, he didn't even bother to shave. He would just he just right. put white grease paint over it. So it looked it looked a little disgusting. Um, but even as a even as the Cisco kid, he that's, he had kind of a Oh, that's yeah. true. No, it was it did have that kind of thin look. But yeah, I mean, I Weird. was I had no idea Cesar Romero was even in the film when I picked it. So when I saw his name in the credits, I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be fun." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's actually uh, a not completely. I mean, there there are some. I mean, there there are actual Asian actors in the cast. There are. This is the one. And the one thing that I gotta say that really Cuban. Yeah, the one thing that really shocked me about this film 
Um, and this is going into a plot here. Um, everyone, uh, the, 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 the plot involves blackmail and murder and a mysterious psychic known as Dr. Zodiac. Now then, when we first meet Dr. Zodiac, he looks to be kind of like this, this Turkish guy. And I thought when he first popped out, Oh my God, what a shitty makeup job on yes, this guy. I honestly thought it was horrible, horrible makeup. And then later you find out it is because that's intentional. It's a fucking mask. Yes. And I went, that's actually a really cool, I like that. Way to go, guys. Yeah. That was Way like to the... use bad makeup as a plot twist. I'm kind of cool with that. Yeah, the, the voice for Dr. Zodiac, because you never actually see Dr. Zodiac, um, was a supply by Gerald Moore, who Ooh. is a, Big radio actor, but uh, again, Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans will recognize him as the tough, two-fisted, and completely ineffectual newsman in Invasion USA. <laughs> oh, wow. 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 Okay, I, I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, the reporter, uh, uh, Douglas Fowley's character, uh, is in love with a uh, girl named Eve Cairo, who is... They 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 suggest that this is a this is a bit of miscegenation because she's Arab or part Arab, um, and uh, nobody seems to have a problem with it. Just like nobody who meets Charlie Chan as seems to have the slight of anti Asian prejudice, um, and uh, nobody says to Cesar Romero, go back to Cuba. So <laughs> it's a it's I mean, at least everyone's if if they're not enlightened they're at least polite. Um, Eve Cairo does a mind reading act with Caesar. Uh, somebody throws a knife at Charlie at a party. Then Charlie, Jimmy, the reporter, and Caesar sneak around Zodiac's dark, spooky house because it's a 20th century Fox film in 1939. And that so you had to have a, a dark, spooky house. You had to have a dark, spooky house. You had to have long scenes. And also, that's cheap, let's face it. Uh, old dark house uh, sets are cheap. Um, you know what? I'm going to jump to the end here and just say this is actually a pretty good movie. And by uh, the way, I called it. I knew I called it. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I guess the murderer fairly early. Yeah. But but the unmasking sequence of the murderer is actually reasonably suspenseful. Even Agreed. if you know who it is, you don't exactly know what's going to happen. Um. So it's a you know while while I preferred Warner Rowland as Chan, uh, it's a good looking film with an obviously decent budget miles from the grungy monogram charlie chans um and it goes surprisingly light on the racism they don't they don't overplay the broken english or the fake chinese aphorisms uh J jimmy's uh, jimmy chan is over eager and naive but he's not stupid and and whatever comic relief he's milked for it's not due to his ethnicity but his youth um pe people respect charlie he's polite but he's not obsequious um, and, and he's always, as you say, he's always the smartest person in the room. Uh, if he were played by an Asian actor, there really wouldn't be anything objectionable about this movie, um, even really by modern standards. And here's the thing. And I was OK. I was trying to watch these movies to see if and granted, it's very difficult to offend me, I freely admit. But I want to see if anything here set me off. Now, I will say one of the films set me off. Okay. One of the three actually did set me off. This is not one of them. I was watching this, and I've seen a lot of Charlie Chan films when I was a child on the late night movies. That you know, the Friday and Saturday two all night movie things. It was usually like a mystery and a horror film. 
Oh. So there were a lot. I saw, oh my God, weekends growing up. It was like Charlie Chan, Godzilla, Universal horror film, and a Kung Fu film. That was the way, that was what my weekends were. Oh, that explains a lot. Yeah, it, I'm sure it does. But I mean, I, I've, I've seen a lot of Charlie Chan films, but this is the first one that I can honestly say I've watched as an adult. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to say, I mean, Sidney Toller, I really didn't have a problem with his performance. I mean, nothing about him jumped out and said, uh, uh, not even stereotype or racism, or he is mocking. There was nothing about this movie that felt mocking. No, no. Uh, I mean, it, whenever anybody gets off a good line, it's it's always it's Charlie Chan. They they he's he he's he's gently chiding and gently sarcastic about his his son um in 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 a way of you know in the way of movie dads from time immemorial no nobody makes a joke at charlie's expense he's never the butt uh, uh, of humor like i say jimmy is but it's mostly just like jimmy could have been you know archie you know he could have been yeah 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 it's the Gosh, same stuff. Yeah, exactly. He says pops, and he's over eager, and he, you know, he, he puts on a stupid transparent disguise. But you know, you could have seen Mickey Rooney do that. Exactly. Now, before we move on to the next film, I do wish to point out the way this movie ends. I'm doing this for a reason, which we will get to. The film ends with our comic relief Jimmy falling down. While our detective looks on, slightly mocking, but with a why you kind of look as we go to the fade out. Remember that. We'll get back to that in a second. Now, what was the next film, sir? Uh, the next movie uh, was uh, starred uh, Peter Lorre. Uh, it was Mr. Moto in Danger Island. Um, this this movie started off as a Charlie Chan script. Yes. But it was it hastily... Can't. It was hastily I thought it rewritten. Was actually, filmed as a Charlie Chance. No, no. And then reworked. Okay, it was just re- okay. It was rewritten rather quickly when Warner Olin died. Oh. Um, now, Mr. Moto, uh, the Charlie Chan will just quickly uh, comes uh, started in the 1920s as a as a series of mystery novels by Earl Der Biggers, um, who was actually based on um, a the police detective that Biggers knew. Um, Mr. Moto. Uh, is a slightly different case also based on a series of novels by jp marquand the, the novelist and um and playwright and the mr moto character uh in the movies is either a uh an agent of interpol or the international police they don't ever actually say interpol um or he's a detective for hire working for various corporations or or individuals uh the character in the novels was kind of an anti-hero. He's sort of an antagonist. He, uh, I read one of the, uh, the, the novels, and they all follow pretty much the same template. The main characters are not Mr. Moto. The main characters are Westerners who are in the Far East and far out of their depth. Uh, somehow they cross uh, swords or at least paths with Mr. Moto, who's a secret agent for the Japanese Empire. Uh, Mr. Moto is continually pursuing his own agenda through the story, but there's always a bigger bad, and he winds up saving these hapless Occidentals um, and either pulling off whatever his mission is or seeing it fall apart and being a gracious loser about it. But he's basically, again, you know, this the, the, the smartest guy in the room. So I always thought it was interesting that they adapted it, but 
because the books themselves they would be very they would it would hard to make be hard to make a series out of them because Mr. Moto in some of them is almost the villain. Um, but Charlie Chan was a huge moneymaker for Fox. So I can see why they jumped on top of this and just rejiggered the character uh, so that Mr. Moto is, is a detective in the Chan vein. I was going to uh, say Moto had like six or seven films as well. He did. Yeah. Uh, the movie. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as successful or long running as, as the, the, the Charlie Chan. And film. by the, the way, movie, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, the movie co-stars Gene Herschelt. For, you know, and if anybody knows Gene Herschelt, it's either because you've seen the, the Shirley Temple Heidi, yeah. who's the grandfather, um, or it's because you've watched the Academy Awards and you've seen them give out after you're the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award. Um, Gene Herschelt was a former uh, president of the Academy, but his biggest thing was he raised money to create what became the motion picture retirement home for indigent actors uh who are either you know in, in failing it's basically it's it's the hollywood nursing home for um uh for old actors and that's how he's got this award named after him he's also uh he was also leslie nielsen's uncle wow oddly enough i have learned uh, so leslie nielsen is today. cool yeah. um and this movie mr moto in danger island stars again douglas dumbrell uh, who is apparently in every movie ever made. Now, before we get going under this, I do want to put four, two things. One, out of all, out of the three characters, I knew nothing about Mr. Moto. Oh, okay. I found out about Mr. Moto doing research on, you know, looking for things for uh, Wong and Charlie Chan to find the films to watch. Mm. I mean, I literally knew nothing about Mr. Moto. Okay. So, wow, that's 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 interesting because. Uh, Peter Laurie was a was, of of the detectives, Mr. Moto and uh, Wong Karloff were the, were the only ones who were played by actors known for other things. Let I mean, me okay. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. I had heard of Mr. Moto. I but knew didn't know Peter Laurie had played the character. That's what I knew. Okay. Okay. That's and then when I saw the name, I'm like, oh, I've heard of this. All right. So I went into this more or less completely blind. Second thing. When I saw the writing credits for this film, I was immediately scared because, if I may quote, screenplay by, based upon story ideas by two other people. So we had screenplay by Peter Milne, based upon story ideas by John Reinhardt and George Bricker, based on the novel by John W. Vandercook, based on the character created by J.P. Marquand, with additional scenes by Jack Jungmeyer and Edith Scorus. Yeah, now that, that's, that's not atypical for movies in the studio era. I mean, people talk about how many, uh, how movies get reshot. And rewritten and, you know, passed from passed from writer to writer nowadays that they had all these guys on the lot. They were all on staff. Lots of different people worked in lots of different movies. It's it's rare that that the, the one person who gets credited on a screenplay uh, during the golden age of Hollywood was the only person who worked on it. However, that does indicate that what 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 a mishmash this was because it wasn't it wasn't even based on a Charlie Chan. They, they'd exhausted the Charlie Chan novels by this point. So they were taking. Uh, they were buying other mystery novels for the Charlie Chan series and reworking them uh, to to insert Chan as the detective. And from what I read, so they had, this had already been filmed once by its original title, Murder in Trinidad. I think Nigel Bruce was in the original version of the story. 
Oh, probably. I yeah, think they, that, yeah, they, I did a little research on this. Yeah, first it was Nigel Bruce, and mm-hmm. uh, then that's where I found out that it had been, I thought it had been a Charlie Chan film that they just, I didn't realize that it was, had never been filmed. Okay, so there you go. So yeah, it was a Nigel Bruce film to begin with. So Nigel Bruce obviously played some older detective type. So I mean, I can see how that, you could have adapted that easily for Charlie Chan. Less so for Mr. Moto, because Mr. Moto is more of an action-oriented character. Charlie Chan never gets a fight. <laughs> the action Mr. scenes in this movie, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but Mr. Moto, uh, Mr. Moto is a, a jujitsu expert, and he is not opposed to a little bit of gunplay. So he, wait, oh, uh, he's an expert. Okay, all right. He's a, in the the yeah, Mr. Moto Cannon. He is the character is a, a judo and jujitsu expert. That that's what that whole thing. Well, we'll get to, we'll get to where it starts. Let me just say that the title of this movie bugs me. It should either be Mr. Moto on Danger Island, or the title of the film should be. Danger Island, and then it's just Mr. Moto in Danger Island. Yep. But it's not. It's He's in Danger, Danger Island. Island. Like, it in only the makes island, sense. he has teleported it, into the island. It only makes sense if Danger Island is that hollow volcano from You Only Live Twice. <laughs> also, another reason I hate the title is because Danger Island was the title of that horrible... You want to talk racist? Let's talk racist cereal. From the Banana Splits. The Banana Split show, exactly. You want to talk about... Oh, my God. Salty ethnic humor and stereotypes. Watch a little... See if you can find Danger Island on YouTube. With a young Jan Michael Vincent, I believe, if I remember correctly. Right. I think you're right. But anyway, right. Mr. Moto okay. and Danger Island. Okay, Mr. Notesman, how do you want to describe the plot on this one? Although this one's really easy. Yeah, I mean, the, it, this opens aboard ship. Uh, Mr. Moto is watching a wrestling match on the deck, and he's commenting on how fake it is, uh, which pisses off one of the wrestlers, who's played by an uncredited Ward Bond of of many, many John Ford films. They call him Warren Heimer. No, no, Warren oh, Heimer. Oh, the other one. Oh, I'm the sorry, person. the other wrestler. I'm sorry, my bad. Heads hung in shame. Move on. Yeah, so uh, Mr. Moto shows them some jujitsu th- jiu-jitsu throws, uh, but then he gets a stitch in the side and he has to go in early. Uh, <laughs> cut to Puerto cut to Puerto Rico. Now it's interesting that that uh, the, what did you say the original the original adaptation was called Murder, Murder in Trinidad. Trinidad. Or they moved the site okay. to Puerto Rico for the movie. Yeah. Okay. So uh, supposedly they did. Uh, <laughs> I found out that uh, only white people live in Puerto Thank Rico. Thank you. I was just a, this. By the way, this is the movie that pissed me off. Okay. Well, rightly so, and we will get to all the reasons it did. Um, in Puerto Rico, the governor uh, gives us a bunch of exposition about diamond smugglers and a murdered investigator. Uh, it seems the diamond cartel is peeved about falling prices. So immediately, I'm on the smuggler's side because De Beers can go fuck themselves. I thought- two months salary, two months salary, my ass. Um, I really don't care. Diamond smugglers. Let let them ta- let them bring down the the price. Yeah, these over overpriced chunks of coal. Um, but the thing about this scene is the clumsy way the premise is set up uh, already makes me think this is going to be a crappier movie than Charlie Chan at Treasure Island. And I get that it was all sort of hastily assembled out of various parts, but it shows. And it also shows it- that this movie had a much smaller budget than Charlie Chan, even though both came out of Fox. Yes, it does not have a Charlie Chan had these gorgeous uh, streamline Art Deco uh, sets. This has a uh, high school theater set. 
Yes. They, they, uh, in fact, there, there, there's a massive and, and rather beautiful theater uh, that's that's uh, figures in, in the last act of, of Charlie Chan on Treasure Island. This place there, it's all bedrooms and little offices and, and a tiny uh, bit of swamp. A tiny bit of obviously it's it's a very it's much more a studio bound backlot film uh, than Charlie Chen on Treasure Island. Um, anyway, uh, oh, here's another problem. Uh, one of the antagonists is a bureaucrat named Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I thought the same. Yeah, I know. Yep. That's going to be hard to take seriously. Every time the words Commissioner Gordon were uttered, and it does happen more than once, I giggled. Yep. So thanks to a telegram. And no one's ever going to send me a telegram, by the way. I'm also pissed. Uh, uh, the governor receives a telegram, so we know Mr. Moto has appendicitis. Uh, he's taken off the ship and put in an ambulance, but it's been hijacked, and Moto is taken to the smuggler's hideout. But not even peritonitis can stop Moto from kicking ass. Also, one of the wrestlers from the first scene, uh, a guy named McGurk. Twister. Talks Twister McGurk. Twister McGurk. Let's get it yes. right. And, and real a, fast, like every person in the 1930s whose last name was McGurk, he's big, he has a New York accent, and he's a fucking moron. Yes, he, he talks in this tortured uh, Brooklynese malapropisms. Uh, and he attaches himself to Moto like a barnacle. And he's a so, wrestler that get not, that gets knocked out in one punch. He is the comic relief in the uh, quote unquote comic relief in this film, and he is as hated by me as anything in Birdemic. You know, if he was, if if the comic relief was just physical, uh, it doesn't mean it'd be funny. But if it was, if it was limited to him getting knocked out, it wouldn't have been as bad. No, him talking I to just. But but because of the malapropisms, we're in for verbal comic relief. And when I say relief, I mean a raised surface like a bump, lesion, or welt. <laughs> uh, but I mean, so for like I, the one thing that I do that I do like about this film. Okay, and there is one thing that I like about the film, and I'm kind of torn because it's also connected to one thing that I hate about the film. Mm -hmm. I really, really, really liked Peter Lorre, but I hate his look. Well, that's pretty much Peter Lorre's look. I mean, they but did. They gave they him the give... buck teeth. They gave him the Mickey Rooney buck teeth. But Peter Lorre has terrible teeth. Uh, he, he, his teeth were rotting out of his head. And in fact, people in the in this era before they all just fell out used to fellow actors complained because he had terrible, terrible breath because his teeth were so bad. So, yes, they, they do give him bad teeth, but he had bad teeth anyway. So even Okie dokie, though. I mean, it just I mean, the first time he smiled, I thought of Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's in and Breakfast. At Tiffany's, it yeah. just and instantly all, and, that instantly turned me off. OK, just the and he also yeah, also wears kind of the little the Coke bottle. Yes, glasses. the Coke so bottle glasses. It's a, it's a much more stereotypical a yellow face look than we get from um uh sydney toller in in the charlie channel uh, yeah i mean I, it was it was just the it was uh every time the, they did a close-up on him like i said i thought mickey rooney and it just irritated me but i kind of liked his performance because you oh can, he gives a very engaging performance. and you can see in the movie that, that you're thank you for the history of moto because you can kind of see in the movie moto is kind of a dick 
Uh, Moto was kind of a dick, but we'll let, let's get to that at the end because um, I think that's that's an important point, uh, and and I don't want to gloss over it. Um, let just quickly. Uh, there's no reason to go into the mystery because the mystery is incredibly paper thin. Um, there's a lot of suspects as usual. There's uh, uh, there's Commissioner Madero, who's played by Leon Ames, who was the father in Meet Me in St. Louis. Oh, that's right. And, and who, in a lot of mo- a lot of his movies in this era, he plays it smug, oily, and suspicious. Uh, there's again, there's Commissioner Gordon, who clearly doesn't want the investigation to progress, or he ditch Mister Moto and call in Batman. <laughs> you made the joke before um, I did. Yes, there's Colonel Castle, the local police chief, who resents Mister Moto. Uh, he's played by the actor who played Norris the Butler in The Big Sleep. Um, there's Joan, whose daughter, who met Mister Moto on the boat. Uh, there's the governor's nephew who works for Colonel Castle, who's in love with Joan. We learn all this through many subtle clues, uh, like when uh, the nephew walks up to her as she disembarks in the boat and says, Hi, remember me? I'm the fellow you're going to marry. <laughs> yeah, I hate saying that, but we've heard exposition like that in movies made last year or so. True, true. Uh, there's a lot of it in this one. There is. Uh, this, there brings is. Up a, this, brings a, this brings up a side issue for me. Um, the success of a mystery, I think, is largely predicated on how slick the exposition is. What what clues are laid in plain sight without the author calling attention to them? And uh, see if you I don't know if you agree with me or not. Oh, that's right. You didn't have read the books. But uh, one of the best at this kind of trickery is J.K. Rowling. Uh, if you read the Harry Potter books, uh, almost all the significant information the stuff that that pays off at, at the end of the book is dropped into the narrative in the guise of either jokes or world building. Actually, Rarely... I did read I did read the final book, so I do actually know what you're talking about to a degree. Because okay. I do remember things that were very innocently set up in the beginning, paying off at the end. Yeah, she she's masterful at it. Rarely do you spot the stuff that will later become plots. I'll give you that. Mister Moto in Danger Island handles the exposition in a much clunkier fashion uh than than treasure island certainly huh. uh but again that it may be a result of it being hastily written, rewritten or it may just be uh, a worse movie uh the last suspect is kindly humanitarian gene hersholt uh who plays Sutter, a local shipping magnate whose fleet is probably being used by the diamond smugglers um uh, Mr. Moto and McGurk find out that Mr. Moto's murdered predecessor was reading about the Salinas Swamp, uh, once the haunt of the pirate Black Tarrant, which I thought was a kind of uh, jam. Thank you. Was, okay, I made that same joke too. Apparently it was a fearful pirate. Who knew? Um, and they take a launch out to the swamp to collect mud samples. Uh, now, here we here's where we get to the first really rugged part of this movie. Well, okay, I got to say, fact, wait, before we even get to that, I had issues, I, this is going to sound stupid, but I really took issue with the fact that um, Puerto Rico was entirely settled by white people. Yes. I, I, yes, that, yes. Right off the bat, that really, really bugged me. Port, Puerto Rico and uh, Minnesota yes. apparently share. Uh, share share the same uh, same uh, sturdy Nordic stock. So they go to the swamp. Yeah, they go to the swamp, and they and the boat is piloted by black actor Willie Best, who is on hand to be terrified of ghosts and cower behind the wheel. 
So this film in one fell swoop in a single scene becomes more racist than Treasure Island, if only because the Chan film had no black characters in it. And so never got around to demeaning them. That would wait until Charlie Chan, uh, the uh, uh, Fox canceled the Charlie Chan series. Uh, Sidney Toller actually bought the rights and cut a deal to continue making the series at Monogram, where they brought in Mantan Moreland as Chan's chauffeur, Birmingham Brown. Yeah. But that's not that's outside the purview of this. Um I will say, oh, oh, there is one, there is one Hispanic uh, character. Oh, um, that's right, I forgot. Le, Le, Leon, Leon Ames, Commissioner Madero, is supposed to be Latino, but he's he's wearing so much dusky pancake makeup and heavy mascara that it's possible he's just supposed to be Lena Horne. <laughs> <laughs> Your points, that was good. I don't know. Okay, so. Nobody, nobody cares how the mystery ends because it's it's again you you guess it a mile away. But but I'm gonna this is this is my summation and and you tell me how you feel. Um, the Japanese stereotypes that the film traffics in are fairly mild. I mean, Mr. Moto isn't constantly bowing or saying very sorry. Uh, he doesn't con- says please every other sentence. Moto doesn't exactly. Moto Moto doesn't confuse his R's with his L's. Right. Uh, in fact, his accent isn't Japanese at all. It's just Peter Lorre's regular accent. Yes. The same one, the same one he used when he played the Levantine Joel Cairo in the Maltese Falcon, or the Italian or Spaniard, Spaniard or whatever the hell he Ugarte was in Casablanca. But that was the studio attitude back then. An accent was an accent. You you want Russian actor Akim Tamarov to play a Chinese warlord in the General Diet at Dawn? Fine. Sure, the audience in Peoria isn't going to know the difference. They've never met a Russian or a Chinese person. So they were really very lax about about uh, accent authenticity. Um, but by and large, except for the 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 uh, the I'm a scared of ghosts uh, boat pilot played by Billy Best. This is not, you know, terribly racist, except the casting is blindingly white. Like I say, as as we mentioned, you know. Puerto Rico is like Amish country. Yeah, yeah, that, just just pure weird beards. But I mean, that bugged me. The 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 uh, God, I totally forgot his name again. I've been mentioning it over and over again. The Mickey Rooney aspect of Peter Laurie bugged me. Um, I the makeup, the the, the characters. The, look, yes, yeah. the characters look bugged me. I fucking hated Amanda Duff, who played the the the, the uh, Joan Castle, the young the the. the Young Anjan, whatever the fuck you want to call her in this film. She's just a bad actress, a bad 1930s actress. Yeah, everybody in Treasure Island is, is as I say, it's a pretty good movie, and they're all they're all competent performances. Even even the, uh, um, you know, the 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 ingenue and the the young male. They're not it's, bad. No, they are not. Everyone's bad. everyone's competent. This uh, no between Warrenheimer's fucking Twister McGurk fuck you annoying character to this Jones overacting. It was just the only person that I thought was remotely, again, good in this as far as acting goes is Laurie. Yeah, Peter Laurie, he gives a a quiet, fairly dignified performance. Except for the action scenes, which look like they were choreographed by a two-year-old. Baboon. Right, yeah. Yeah. With brain damage, the action scenes are really bad. 
they didn't seem to have a lot of uh, fight choreographers on staff at 20th Century Fox who knew the first thing about judo. I don't think there was fight choreography. I honestly think the director just put the camera and said, okay, guys, go to town. Could be. Warren Heimer, you'll not be surprised to find out, uh, was an alcoholic who uh, whose career took a nosedive not too long after this movie. He uh, showed up drunk on the uh, on the lot once and Harry Cohen ordered him thrown uh, thrown out of the studio. Uh, Heimer stormed back into Cohen's office when Cohen was out and urinated all over his desk. And he was sort of blackballed. I've heard that story. I didn't realize that was that guy. That was that was that was Twister McGurk. Wow. And he, uh, oh, and by the yeah. way, um, this film ends, I wish to point out. With our comic relief, quote unquote, Twister McGurk falling down while our fake Asian detective stares with slightly with a bemused why you look on his face as we fade out. Sound familiar? Stick with the winner. And they're both from 20th Century Fox. Go figure. And now we move on to another one that I'd heard of. But I again, I'd never seen any movies. Uh, I'm not sure. I've actually, this is my first. This Wong may be film. the. This might be the first time I've seen a complete Wong film. I've seen uh, bits and pieces of them on TV, but the first time I've sat down and watched one. This is the shortest film in keeping with the uh, the uh, monogram ethos. Monogram uh, was one of the was the maybe the quintessential uh, poverty row uh, studio. And they believed in, you know, cranking them out uh, uh, to snappy 59 minutes. Uh, I think I think actually this clocks in it maybe. I think it's 70 something. Uh, it's like a, it's yeah, it's like an hour and nine minutes. So uh, they, they went uh, they went whole hog on this. Um, I'm, I'm going to confess something up front. Um, I, I, I went into this uh, with certain expectations. OK, I expected it to be really racist okay because unlike the moto and the chan films which were beautifully mounted 20th century fox productions uh you know mr wong comes to us from the bottom feeding poverty row and unlike um you know gorgeously recreated bits of streamline architecture from the world's fair or even you know fairly elaborate uh swamp sets uh racism is cheap so I'm anticipating two things, lots of stock footage and, and again, minstrel show quality ethnic humor. Prove me wrong, Mr. Wong. Well, I, I don't remember a lot of stock footage. No, I was, uh, I was wrong about that. Uh, but then the, the movie actually doesn't have a lot of padding. They actually filled it out with story. Story. It's not great. It's not great story, but it's, it's, serviceable and it's it's there aren't a lot of cutaways to you know footage they had lying around so i i give monogram credit they didn't spend a lot of money on their movies but but this is one of the ones that they didn't uh go the super cheap uh corner cutting route it's a it's a decent looking film again everything takes place in rooms um there is i can't even think of a shot that takes place outside outside there's it's all mostly the same, you know, full first whole first act is basically in, in the same house. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it does start with it starts with an Asian man throws a package overboard from a freighter. Uh, another Asian man collects it in a motor launch and then delivers it to a third Asian man who's in 
you know, behind a peephole in some uh, door in a, a basement or hidden room somewhere. Actual Asians, uh, by the way, just want to point out. Actual Asians, actual Asians. Credit for casting actual Asians, even in non-speaking package chuck and rolls. Um, uh, finally, the package makes its way to Mr. Edwards, who's the foremost authority on being a dick. <laughs> Yeah, he's a dick. Uh, one of the first things we learned about him is that, is that he drove his first wife to suicide. Uh, he threatens his Chinese maid with uh, deportation, uh, and he insinuates now, his current wife. Now, real quick question, real quick question. Yeah. I honestly could not – I'm not sure. This is horrible. The maid, was she Asian or was she Asian by makeup? No, the the maid is played by an actress named Lotus Lang. Okay, I just want to make sure. Lotus, sorry, Lotus Long. Lotus Long um, – her father, I think, was uh, ch- uh, Japanese, okay. and her mother was ethnic Hawaiian. And uh, Lotus Long uh, pretended to be Chinese so she could continue working during the war. She didn't want it getting out that her father was Japanese. Okay. So she passed. She passed as Chinese. Okay. Uh, she she. She does not look. She, she has a, she has kind of a well. She has a mixed race look to her. Because it lo- so, honestly, it looked like it was um, eye by makeup. From, well, from certain angles, she looks more typically Asian. If we're gonna than than others. Understood. Um, yes, she she was a mixed race actress. Um, so she's she's the uh, she's the playing the maid. She, um, uh, what else does he do? Oh, yes, yes. He, um, uh, his current wife, Valerie, uh, she, he, he, uh, he insinuates that she's banging uh, Edward's secretary, Peter. And, um, and, and, and the singer, Stroganov. Yes, they, his fucking have, name is Stroganov. Yes, they have a live-in uh, Russian opera singer named Stroganov. And do you know how fr- badly I wanted someone to say the line, what's your beef, Stroganov? This would have been the greatest film in the world had they thrown that line in. They don't. But yeah, they don't, uh, so fuck this movie. Yeah. Strogan- Stroganov uh, is a crappy vocalist. Yes, he uh, is. But he sounds delicious. Um, okay. Uh, oh, I'd also like to point out that while Edwards is a distinguished-looking chap with a fine head of gray hair, uh, impeccable posture, and uh, looks very debonair in evening clothes, he has ears the size of a Ferengi, and it's kind of distracting. Yeah, you know he got umlauts. Yeah, you, you, it, it's not too bad because I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying he gets murdered really quickly. Uh, but man, ears like satellite dishes. <laughs> now, this, this, um, this particular uh, film takes you to a world that was seldom seen in late 1930s cinema, rich white people. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real uh, glimpse at a, at a hidden subculture. Uh, it's almost a, it's almost a docudrama. I'm telling you, in at, that respect. Th- this, this, this looks like it was done by Richard Attenborough. But anyway, uh, yes. Uh, so Edwards uh, reveals uh, what what's in the package. I know you're all dying to know, and it's a jewel called the Eye of the Daughter of the Moon, and it's worth two months' salary. Now, 
And it's cursed. Uh, and it's cursed. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's going to get them all. Uh, Valerie, his wife, says it's going to get them all killed. She says, I warned you in Shanghai that murder follows the gem if it ever leaves China. For it carries the curse of Emperor Hong Chong Chu. And you know, is, I immediately said Gesundheit. Yes. Emperor Hong Chong Chu was infamous for cursing jewels and later becoming a racist Hanna Barbera cartoon character. <laughs> and the way she said it, too. That's the thing. Yeah. Right off the bat, the way she said Hong Chong Chu, I, I, I wanted mm. to, it sounded like a sneeze. It did. It did. Uh, but Edwards admires Hong Chong Chu because, uh, yes, thank you. Uh, because Hong Chong Chu killed his wife in a fit of jealousy, then replaced her heart with the eye of the daughter of the moon. And that's just quality sarcasm. <laughs> so that's putting your that's putting your that's putting your money where your mouth is. So he decides that he's going to gather a bunch of rich white people for a party and he makes sure that Mr. Wong is invited up. So, yeah. which for reasons that we don't know yet. So, and- well, we do, we do find out that that he does te- say that Wong is the uh, Mr. Wong is the foremost authority on having whatever information the other characters need. Yes, yes, yes. Particular- and because he's, know- a, he's a graduate, he's a graduate of both Heidelberg and Oxford University. Oh, I thought it was Oxford and Cambridge. It was Heidelberg and Oxford. Okay. Yeah, no, you you wouldn't go to two Oxford universities. It's Heidelberg. Now, here's the thing: uh, the the character. Uh, Mr. Wong is based on a, a again, uh, uh, it wasn't it wasn't a novel series. It was a series of stories published in Collier's magazine. And Mr. Wong in the, in the magazine is James Lee Wong, who's Chinese American and and uh, went to Oxford. So this movie kicks it up a notch by adding Heidelberg. <laughs> and I'm going to assume the fact that he went to Cambridge and Heidelberg explains why he sounds just like Boris Karloff. Well, I think that that's yeah, that's their excuse. Uh, they uh, in the movie, and I, I never read the story, so I don't know. Uh, Wong is a scholar of Chinese art. Uh, he recognizes the gem, and he knows the Chinese government's looking for it. Now, here's here's another rip from the headlines. Extra, extra, read all about it. End of Slumgullion stolen. Police suspect Spike Lee. Do 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 do. We still got some guests on the Slumgullion. We're not showing breasts on the Slumgullion. Should probably fade on the Slumgullion. Slumgullion.